Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website at workerbeing.com or on social media. Follow along with us on LinkedIn as we like to share a lot of great tips there too. Um, you can find both of us, Patricia and Katina, out on LinkedIn. So today we are going to be talking about workload and the extent to which we can understand whether or not people are experiencing a workload that is going to have negative implications for their health and well-being. And there's a little bit of a spoiler alert. It's different than literature has and research has thought about before, but also different than we think about at the societal level in some ways. So mm. we're going to cover some of that. But before we do that, I think the question I want to assess, and it does have a little bit of foreshadowing here, is what do you think is your ideal workload as a person? Like if you could say, I'm going to set this number of working hours a week, what would be ideal? Oh, I feel like your answer is going to be super high. <laughs> I feel like you well, so ideal, much, ideal, ideal, ideal. Okay. Oh, I don't know. This is a really hard question because I'm thinking it about is. like, what does my work entail too? I feel like maybe, I don't know if this study goes into this at all, but you know, I think that if I'm doing something I really like, I could totally mm -hmm. say like 10 hours is fine. But if I'm doing a bunch of tasks that I'm not like in love with, I'd probably be more along the lines of like six hours, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it varies a bit, but if I was like in the perfect job doing the perfect things, I would probably be a little bit on the higher end, like maybe eight or nine you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm the same. And you're talking about per day, right? Per day. Per day. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. So, um, so yes, I would agree with that. I think a regular work day seems good to me. Seems like I have enough time to be able to make progress on something that's meaningful. I think they did not get into, as you mentioned, whether or not people like the work that they're doing and maybe that's part of what was coming out here like they didn't look at that as a way of understanding whether or not people were happy or not with a particular um, workload they do have some outcomes um, that are associated with some things that might be related to like job satisfaction for example that might be related to that um, but they didn't look at it as a okay, I would like to do eight hours a day of a thing I really like, but six hours a day of a thing I really hate or whatever the case may be. But I think me too, like I think the normal work week for me would probably be good and that's enough time to make meaningful progress on something each day. And I'm just sort of assuming that we don't hate what we're doing in this scenario, but I could imagine to your point that that would make a difference. Yeah, and I think... I mean, if I was to go a little bit broader than just the day, I think I would likely cut the number of days a bit or like yeah. have a half a day on a Friday or something. Yep. And that would probably, even with really meaningful work that I love, I still think I'd probably want a little bit more time yep. off. Um, I agree. So I think it would be kind of like some really good, like heads down progress days and then some really good disconnected days. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that makes sense. And I could do, I think I could see the same thing. I also feel like, um, 
a schedule that I would like better would be like a 10 to 6 instead of a 8 or a 9 to 5 or something like that. I think mm -hmm. I would like also skew my day. But they didn't ask about any of that. They just asked about workload <laughs> in general. Um, so yeah. <laughs> the, these Taking details. It very far. <laughs> well, yeah, but also I'm sure that those things matter. This is kind of a pretty straightforward study, but something that I thought was really, really interesting because we've talked about workload before. And uh, so there's a little bit in here in terms of not nerdy research stuff um, because that's what we normally do. So I'm not calling us nerds or anyone who likes that a nerd, but there is a little bit of a research angle to this because they're not only looking at what's the best way for workplaces to understand whether or not people have a high or a low workload from the perspective of what's actually going to be a problem, but also they're looking at what should researchers understand when they do studies on workload that could help them to find more consistent things around workload. So this data was collected in Sweden. And uh, the reason, just as before I go into like the takeaways, just to give a little background, because I thought this was interesting. Um, in Sweden, they have a Work Environment Act, which is basically a legal, a set of regulations that workplaces need to follow in order to have healthier, happier workplaces, which sounds great. Um, but one of the things that they put into that act, apparently, is a focus on unhealthy workload. And they define unhealthy workload as when job requirements exceed resources on more than a temporary basis. So if it's prolonged, where people have intensified job requirements, and if opportunities for recovery are inadequate, that's considered a job that's an unhealthy workload. But when they actually go to assess whether or not a company is providing a healthy or unhealthy workload, they don't really assess the way that the amount of recovery that the person has. And they also don't assess any variability in terms of what the person themselves would consider healthy or unhealthy. So basically a higher score is having more work, a higher workload, more work that people need to do versus a low workload. And so these authors were kind of determined to decide, well, if companies have to provide workplaces where a high score is bad and a low score is good, is that actually something that's going to impact health and well-being in the way that they think it does when they created the act? Interesting. I first of all, I love there's this app. I know. One. Makes me like jealous of yeah. Sweden again. I feel like I know. <laughs> it I know. happens all the time. I don't know if I shared on the podcast. I know I've told you, but like I've I met some Swedish people on LinkedIn and um and I got on a call with one of them and and he was like what is it like caring about well-being at work in the U.S.? And I was like, oh. <laughs> Not as easy. He's like, I don't, he's, he's like, people probably don't care about it, do they? And I was like, well, we have a great reputation. And unfortunately, yeah. not it's not, you know, so far off. Like, there's obviously individual people that care. But I think culturally, we're a little bit more intense. But yes. anyways, super jealous of their app. But yes. I do find it interesting that the way they define it has to do with like recovery and it's kind of a little bit more fluid, but the way mm -hmm. they measure it has to do with actual like high or low numbers, right? Yep. When exactly. the definition doesn't match the way it's, def it's measured. Yeah. So that's kind of what they were thinking about. Like, okay, if they're encouraging workplaces to create healthier work environments and they're defining that as lower work workload, is that something that actually is going to get them 
what they want. And they also talk about, to some extent in here, some mixed findings. So for example, when we measure people's workload in the way we usually do, which is, um, for example, how much work do you have to do? And people say a lot of work versus barely any work. On that scale, barely any work would be a lot better than a lot of work. Um, and they've found some mixed things. So for example, in some studies where they've tried to link measures of workload to health outcomes, they find that people who have higher workloads have worse health outcomes. But then in other studies, they find that there's no relationship at all. And that's true across other outcomes too, that there are sort of these inconsistent relationships across research where sometimes they find that high workload is bad and sometimes they find that it doesn't matter. So in addition to trying to figure out whether or not this um, you know, is going to actually create the health and well-being outcomes that they think it will in Sweden, they're also interested from the perspective of just studying the impact of workload is the way that we've been asking the question, which is sort of low to high with the assumption that high is worse actually accurately assessing whether or not people view this positively or negatively. Yeah, I think that's really important because, I mean, I guess I'm probably going to spoil some of it, um, which we haven't gotten your takeaways yet. Oof, I shouldn't no, spoil too it's much. It's okay. But, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> but I, I feel like it, to me, it seems fairly evident when you say like, you know, barely any work, like then people get bored. People want to have meaning in their work. Mm -hmm. If they're going to have to work, you want to have meaning, right? And even people that don't work, they always, they do something, right? They have some sort of activity, something that provides them meaning. And so if you don't have enough work at all, then I feel like you're just going to be feeling, you feel unproductive and people don't like to feel like that. Yeah, that's a hundred percent on track. And so it leads right into what actually this time I just have two takeaways, which is that workload is more than just the amount of work that you have to do. And the second is that if we assess workload differently or think about workload differently, we can actually solve health and well-being problems more easily than if we just thought about it in terms of how much work you have to do. So you probably could have guessed some of that from our conversation here. But um, basically what they did in this study, and it's really simple to implement, instead of asking people, do you have too much to do? Or um, how much do you have to do at work? And then looking at whether people say high or low, they ask those same questions, but then they also ask them, and to what extent are you satisfied with that? So in other words, are you working a lot and how satisfied or dissatisfied are you with that? Are you feeling like you have a lot to do? How high is your workload right now, et cetera? And the next question is, and how do you feel about it? And what they found is that there are people who have very little to do and they're happy with it. There are people who have a lot to do and they're also happy with it. There are people who have a lot to do and they're unhappy with it. And there are people who have a little to do and they're also unhappy with it. So in every kind of quadrant that you could think of, there are people who are happy or unhappy. Some people like to have a workload that's higher. Some people like to have a workload that's lower. Um, and there's dissatisfied groups in both of those as well. So I think that the idea here is that instead of asking, instead of looking and saying, okay, well, 
you know, um, we're experiencing high levels of burnout or low levels of job satisfaction. And then you look at workload and you're like, well, workload's really high. We should probably decrease workload. The important thing to recognize is that there could be other things that are driving that. And certainly some percentage of your workforce may be dissatisfied and experiencing negative outcomes because of that high workload. But you may also be harming other people who actually like engaging in their work to a greater degree who are finding satisfaction in that. So that I think is a cool takeaway that could be implemented when you're trying to assess what's the root cause of issues with health and well-being, but also how do we address those issues by looking at workload. So there's two things I want to talk about around this. I think it's super interesting. Number one, uh, spoiler alert for our own research, we talk about how important it is to individualize what you do around workplace wellness yep. um, and how you support people. And that seems like the study is very much like finding the same type of thing that it's really dependent on the person as to how much work they need or they want and being able to kind of adjust and support accordingly. Yeah. The one 100%. concern I have here though on how we implement this. I'm nervous about people looking at this individual difference and valuing one over the other mm-hmm. and valuing the people that want to work long hours, which we probably already are doing, honestly. Like those are probably the people that are getting promotions faster mm-hmm. or things like that. That's probably already happening. But if we talk about it openly, I wonder how many people will be honest because then they'll probably be worried like, well, you know, for me, I feel really exhausted if I work eight and a half hours. I really better off if I work seven hours. Like, am I going to be penalized with my career because I'm not putting in the same amount of time mm-hmm. or my workload can't be as high because that's just for me, that's not going to be beneficial. And I think that's that's the one real big risk I see with this specific yeah. um, way of individualizing support. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. They didn't get into what to kind of do about combating some unintended negative consequences. Um, I think that you're right, that people will probably value the people who are dissatisfied with low levels of work and satisfied with higher levels of work. Um, And so those groups, and I think that's an interesting takeaway too, that, you know, there could be people in your organization right now who are working less than they'd like to. um, And so I do think that's kind of an interesting thing that we don't usually think about. Um, But I agree that there's a risk that people might use this as an individual difference. I think what they're suggesting is that instead of asking about what the workload is, you ask people whether they're satisfied or dissatisfied with their workload, but you wouldn't necessarily need to quantify the hours to do that. So they're basically saying like asking people about whether they like a high or a low workload is sort of irrelevant. You're just kind of saying how satisfied or dissatisfied are you with your workload right now? And that can be a good indicator of whether or not these outcomes are gonna happen. But they did say, without knowing what the person's workload is, how are you gonna actually intervene and make changes? So at some point you do need to engage in that tailored process. But the real question that's driving whether or not people are experiencing any health or well-being outcomes from their workload at all is whether or not they're happy with their situation. And this was interesting. They found it across self-rated health, sleep quality, concentration ability, stress, 
energy levels, sense of control, social support, work efficiency, job satisfaction, and work atmosphere. Um, all varied wow. more with the extent to which their, people's workloads were satisfactory or dissatisfactory than they did with just looking at straight, is, do you have a higher or low workload? That's pretty intense. Like, that's a lot of outcomes. I would yeah. be curious about, like, work efficiency is an interesting one. I'd be curious about, like, performance a little bit, too, mm-hmm. um, because I would say, theoretically, um, even if someone prefers, like, lower workload, they likely, if they are satisfied with where they are workload-wise, they're likely performing really well. So I think that would be an interesting addition to this. Yeah. Um, and I do think, like, that's a good point about what you said, like asking, you know, are you satisfied with your workload? Um, then, you know, instead of asking how much are they working or anything like that, it could be even just a conversation of, well, do you feel like you need more or less? Mm-hmm. Right. So you can still try to stay away from the full quantifying of the workload. As a manager, you likely know what they're working on. So you're already going to be able to gauge who's got more work and who's maybe spending more time in general, but you don't really always know who's spending more time. Right. So, um, it could be a way to try to stay away from the numbers a little bit to try to keep it very individual without getting to a point where you're like judging your employees based on the number of time, the amount of time they put in versus the actual work that they're doing. Totally. Yeah. I think that there are ways to finesse that conversation for sure. So that you're not, uh, like you're saying, judging people based on, you know, okay, I only want a team of people who are satisfied with working often <laughs> um, or working right. working a lot. Um, that I think, and also not putting people on the spot so that they don't feel like they, so they feel like they can't be honest um, with you either. And I will say, you know, there is also, we just discussed how Sweden has these, you know, rules and regulations for workplaces that come with some consequences if they're creating unhealthy places for people to work. So we're also in a truncated sample in terms of work hours and the extent to which people are overworking because there's already been a lot of conversation societally here. So I think that something else to keep in mind is, and the study notes this, that they suspect that anybody who's working 80 hours a week is going to see some bad health outcomes, right? So it's not like, oh, I love working 100 hours a week. Like at some point, your body can't take the amount of work that you're putting into it and there's no amount of resources that can offset that. So they're also not suggesting that you're like, all I have to do is find people who can work in extensive amounts of hours and they love it because that will end up in burnout. This is sort of more within a more normal range of work, kind of like what we were just talking about, as opposed to people who are working so many hours that even if they say they like it, it's going to take a toll somewhere or another. That's a really good, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't even think about that because you're right. Like in Sweden, you can't work people the same kind of hours you can in the U.S. Um, so that's, you know, super valid. So like if you're saying that, yeah, you could, you like the amount of work that you have or, and you are on the higher end of workload, you're probably still working within like a reasonable 40 hour, 45 mm-hmm. hour week, not, you know, at a point of 
extreme work where you don't have time for anything else. Yeah. So that's that's a really good call out. So we're really kind of looking at a, a group that's probably within like a six to eight hour a day range of what they want, you know? Yeah, exactly. So they definitely are not trying to say that you should just find a whole workforce of people who pathologically want to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, you know, they're really saying that it's about employee needs or expectations. And that once you understand those needs or expectations, you can have a dialogue with your employees, ask them for guidance regarding how they might be able to better craft their work environment to align with what they're looking for from a workload perspective. They also felt like this um, kind of cross tab that they did of people who feel like they work um, a little bit, medium, a lot, and whether they're satisfied or dissatisfied, that when you map that out and understand from a quadrant perspective, okay, on my team, how many people do I have who are working a lot who are satisfied, who are working a little who are satisfied, who are working a lot and are dissatisfied, who are working a little and are dissatisfied, and how can I use that information holistically not to try to select people but how can I think about, okay, maybe there's a person who's working a lot and they're dissatisfied and there's someone else on the team who feels like they're working too little. Well, maybe a conversation across the team could be useful to try to redistribute work in a way that actually helps people to get what they want and it could mm -hmm. make both people happier. So they also talk about these kind of collaborative brainstorming sessions where you can use this information productively instead of using it more judgmentally. I like that. I really like the idea of like the team kind of coming together and helping each other. Um, assuming, you know, their roles and skill sets are similar enough. Um, I think that there is definitely something that can be done as a team collaboratively. And I think that also gets to some of what we've talked about with individual level support, because, you know, if somebody has to be out for some reason, right, like the team's going to have to step up and help. But if you're already doing this kind of natural, um, and fluid approach to work as a group, then I feel like not just in your regular workload, um, day to day, are you going to be able to work with each other and get, make sure everyone's happy. But then when things occur where there might be stretches and issues or whatever, then you can, you already have that habit of supporting each other and finding the way, best way to approach something. So I really like that idea. Yeah, I do too. And I think that, you know, Ideally, people would use this as almost like developmental information. They talk, and I feel like this is maybe a little too pie in the sky, but they talk about how, you know, this could be something that opens up dialogues or conversations about variability and create more vulnerability around this. It could also help employees to support each other better if you assess this on a regular basis because it could change what seemed like too many hours today might not tomorrow when... My mm -hmm. kid leaves for college and I don't have that responsibility all the time or maybe what seemed like too little hours yesterday seems like too many today when I'm engaging in elder care or whatever the case may be. So they also mentioned that recognizing that there may be natural fluctuations in people's satisfaction and dissatisfaction with their hours and that there may also be natural inclinations one way or the other and that that's normal can help to normalize the conversation and solve performance problems better than just trying to act like everybody responds the same way to the same amount of hours all the time consistently over the course of their own lives, but then also compared between people. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I really, I mean, just overall summary, like this article in the sense that we're talking about things more 
focused on you know, the individual, the situation, things might change. And I think that's super important. And it's hard for us, I mean, even as researchers, to think about it that way because it's not always as easy to measure. Um, so I'm glad that they're they're trying to push this forward because I'm really curious to see what the workload research is going to look like now if yeah. we think about workload a little differently. Me too. I completely agree. I'm curious about this too. And I think for now, the big takeaway is if you're trying to understand why people might be dissatisfied or burn out, you think it might have something to do with workload, don't just stop by looking at, you know, how much are people working. You need to understand a little bit more about how that's registering for people as well in order to really solve those problems. 100%. It's a great takeaway. I think it's um, hopefully something that's somewhat easy to implement and think about and just making sure that we are remembering that, you know, we're not talking about extremes on the high end um, and probably not talking about like one hour a week <laughs> on the low end either. Right. So really making sure that we're thinking about workload in a way that, um, you know, is aligned to people's preferences without feeling like we're judging or having to put judgment on it in a way that might be impactful and hurtful um, from a career perspective. So I think that there's a lot of really great takeaways here. And I think that, you know, just done intentionally with a lot of thought and care can make a huge difference um, for employees everywhere. So I love it. Totally agree. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy you liked it. Yes. And thanks to all of our listeners. If you have any questions, send us a note at contact at workerbeing.com. You can always check out our website, workerbeing.com and find us on LinkedIn um, where we share lots of fun tips. And if you are interested in hearing more about this type of research or want us to bring this into your organization, send us an email. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Thank you.